Hey, what's going on, everybody? We are back with another episode of the Cue It Up podcast for a weekly roundup. Today, we talk about the Texas Open as well as uh, a couple of uh, things that happened at the Texas Open, one of which was the controversy surrounding Omar Al-Shaheen and uh, Corey Duell. I won't get into that right now, but we get into it in depth during the podcast, so uh, you just have to wait a little while to hear that. As always, I'm going to jump on and get all of the announcements out of the way in the beginning. Last episode, we kind of put out there, I don't know if you want to, maybe a little challenge to see if uh, if we ended up getting to 75 Patreons, that we were going to start doing a guaranteed 10 episodes a month, which would be about four podcasts more per month than we do right now. So we'd be averaging one more per week if we got up to that 75 Patreons. Right now, we're at about 52, so uh, we're about 23 Patreons away from getting to that goal. So if you would like to be one of those and you have been maybe holding off from becoming a Patreon for, well, I don't know, whatever reason, now might be the perfect time if you want more content. So uh, please head over to patreon.com forward slash queue it up or check the description of this video and you can find the link to do that. All of the ways to, uh, I guess, get to there will be in the description. So you can just check that out. Now, We'll move on from there, and I want to give a huge shout-out to Kyle Smith. He was trying to participate in one of the raffles we were doing very recently, and he had just missed the window, and instead of taking the refund for it, he decided just to donate it to the podcast as a thank you for what we do here. So I want to give a huge shout-out to Kyle. That was a really, really, really generous thing that you did. You didn't have to do that, and we really do appreciate it. Uh, Your guys' support is the reason that I'm still able to do this podcast as a full-time gig and promote the game that we all love so much. Uh, So without people like you, I wouldn't be able to do this. So thank you very much, Kyle Smith. And I guess uh, the last thing is really we're going to be in Vegas next week. So we'll be doing the show live from Vegas at uh, the Rio. So if you're going to be out there as well and you want to meet up and grab some drinks or whatever, make sure to reach out to the podcast page or Nate himself. uh, And try not to use Instagram because as some of you found out that I responded to yesterday, I barely ever checked that. And there were some messages in there from like four months ago. I really should use my Instagram more. I know I'm an idiot for not doing it. It's where a lot of people are these days. But I'm just so old school. I don't like using any social media, nonetheless, Facebook. So I guess I'm making excuses. But I don't know. I should really do it more, but I don't. So make sure to reach out to us on Facebook or YouTube, and we'll get back to you. So uh, I guess with that out of the way, let's get jumped right into this podcast we did today. I'm a real deal. I'll shoot your liver out and hand it to you. Not mowing the grass. So, Dom, tell us about your awesome new uh, your awesome new uh, sponsorship. Oh, you mean uh, being a part of Tommy Baby Promotions? Yeah, want you. Let's hear about it. Oh, Promote boy. it up. Oh man, Mike, you, you can't. You're not gonna give him the four on one ahead of time. No, listen, my boy. I just want you to say it online. I just want you to say it right here. Tested. So I guess I the news will be drug tested, the news will break does. here first. Then I guess we'll, we'll break the news here first. I was I was dropped from Tommy Baby Promotions. That was a short-lived success. <laughs> I uh, know what had happened was I I haven't had the pleasure of hanging out with Tommy Medina 
often, and as many of us know, he's a, a big stake horse in the game and does a lot for our, our industry. And um, I was joking with him. I, I went to draw my match, and the guy asked me if you want if I wanted to side bet fifty bucks on our match. And I said, well, why don't we make it a hundred since I don't know who you are? And uh, he said, yeah. So I asked Tommy if he would stake me in the side bet because I'm busted. I'm out there in the Texas Open losing every side bet I could imagine and can't book a winner for the life of me. So I go to Tommy as being the stake horse, the generous man he is, and he tells me no. I think so even Restream's like, screw this guy. This story sucks. You put Restream oh, on okay. tilt. You put the, the internet said, we ain't dealing with this today. Well, listen, long story short is... I really just wanted to joke around with Tommy all weekend and just make it a point to make his stake horses in his stable jealous. So I made it to where it looked like Tommy was my stake horse and he backed me in anything. Well, like 50 people private messaging me trying to get games and, uh, and trying to message me all across to fly to them and play them because Tommy's got money to burn. And Well, I... I mean, if you're taking signups, I'll I'll come to you, you play some uh, even ten ball. You can't win. I've, I've watched you play. <laughs> That's probably true. Let's bet it up. <laughs> There's only one, only one way to find out. I'm I'm assuming you're going to be there in South Carolina. I will not be in South Carolina. I'm going to be I'm going to be in Vegas next week, and then I'm going to the U.S. Open, and then I'm going to Michigan, and then I'm going to spend some time with the wife. And then we're going to Mexico, and then we're going to Atlantic, uh, Norfolk, and then we're going to Puerto Rico, and then we're going to London. So I got enough traveling. I don't need another one. Dang, Nate. I mean, dang. And it's all from playing chumps like you. I mean. <laughs> Demetrius so said he's next after Nate's done. All right, gonna, I said, no, I'm staying out of this. <laughs> it's just going to be a tag I'm team. I'm super jealous. <clears throat> I'm super jealous now. All that podcast money, you know. Yeah. <laughs> all that, uh, all that thirty-five dollars I'm uh, making a year. I'll go straight into travel. Yeah, bring in the pretty nice. <laughs> well, all it was a joke turned into uh, something that everybody all of a sudden thought that I was staked, and a joke went too far because now I got way too many messages that I'm not responding to. Well, to you're, you're you're an even bigger deal than what we thought, and we didn't think you were a very big deal, so. Oh, Lord. We got to bust you a little bit, right? I mean, well, hey, I got to hang out with Mike for eight days and not only put him on tilt via the internet, but really put him on tilt in person. So it was true. a successful trip to the Texas Open. It's true. Not bad. Yeah. Not bad. So uh, I guess we're here for another week of the podcast. We got uh, Brady Bunch style Demetrius right here. We got uh, Molina Mike right here. And we got... The great Dominic Dunn down here. What's going on, everybody? Taylor said he wants next, buddy. Look at him. Even he's even he's chomping at the bits oh to get God. a piece of dumb dumb. <laughs> Fedor can get played. I'll take a little spot, nothing crazy, just the last two, and I'll try him some ten ball. Mm. And he I want the heads. first break. <laughs> um, I think I think you're live. You know, you got a chance. How high can we bet on behalf of Fedor? How high can we bet? <laughs> I mean, 
I don't know, Fedor, you know, he's been, a, he's kind of cooled down a little bit. Like in the last, in the last 10, 12 hours, has he really popped anything off significant? <laughs> his thought, his thoughts going I, down. You know I saw a video, actually, I saw a video, I think uh, Sharik Sayad posted a video with Griffs and he was, he was playing somebody, I think, in Griffs last night. So it's possible. <laughs> well, yeah. Fedor, how much you make last night? Put Demetrius in his place. Let him know you made like 50 grand. <laughs> Didn't this flight just land? Will he get off the Will he get off the plane and just screw the cues together? I think he still had him put together on the flight. <laughs> yeah, he just walked around with a with a full one piece cue. Just who wants to play? Who wants to play? Did y'all see his TikTok video? I did. That break. That was cute. He's a TikTok star now. Yeah. Him and Jennifer Beretta are like uh, rocking. I was it for about us. to say, yeah, he's taking he's taking a page out of out of Beretta's book there. I'll I'll tell you what, like on a serious note, like I like Jen's content. I do. Oh my god, her content is amazing. Like when she's walking yeah. around in the dress and running out from everywhere, like that is fantastic. I just like something about that just really makes me happy. It's just it's just great. Oh, she does a great job. Hopefully, Nate's wife doesn't watch this podcast. It's all right. We're getting divorced. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. No, not Breaking really. Breaking news. Not really. Not really. So uh, I guess you two are there, Mike and uh, Dom. So, uh, Mike, why don't you tell us what was it, what was it like in the, the venue? Man, you know, I've been going to Texas Open now for, I don't know, like six or seven years probably, and which is not a lot of time. But um, it's by far the biggest Texas Open that I've been to. Uh and from a number of different standpoints, from the the depth of the field, uh, the the quality of talent, the uh, prize pool is the Calcutta was I think like a hundred and almost one hundred and thirteen thousand just in the first Calcutta alone, which is crazy. Um, which we enjoy the action, but man, I was getting ready for Vegas and everything else. So I, I my bankroll wasn't quite prepared for for that, but <laughs> um, but no, we saw. Listen. We saw Shane go and steamroll. We saw Dennis go back to his Dennis one pocket uh, uh, self, and I was actually crazy to see that the people, the two people who are playing more than anybody else, are the two people that snap it off. Isn't that weird how that works out? It's kind of funny, right? (laughs) Yeah, you would think. Are we going to talk about that? By the way, is is that we're going to transition into that into that Corey post at some point? I hope so. Oh yeah, we will. Don't Um, worry about that. Don't worry about that. Yeah, but no, it was just it was a stack field. Um, and really I was, the biggest takeaway that I had, number one, besides the obvious of Shane and Dennis was seeing these guys who I consider one pocket players play rotation at a very high level on four and a half inch pockets. Scott Frost, Tony uh, made really it very deep, bro. Tony, Tony beat John Moore, who John's playing as good as anyone. Uh, he beat, uh, or I think he gave Jesus hell. I don't remember if he beat Jesus or not, but, oh no, he did. He did. He ran out the last four to, to, to beat him. Yeah. Um, which are guys who, we, who I consider, you know, uh, high level rotation players. Uh, Scott should have beaten Ignacio Hill Hill um, if it wasn't for a, a hung seven ball. Chip gave Sky all he could handle. I just thought that was great, man. I really enjoyed it. I I, I love seeing nine ball like that when it's competitive, and it really is wide open. So it was fantastic event from start to finish. Yeah. Dom, what you think? The first time you actually were a uh, a person in the room. Yeah, I thought the Texas stuff was great. I mean, it was a, not a huge, huge venue. Um, so it was, you were pretty up close and personal with everybody. You know, I didn't give 
point. I mean, Mike was standing next to Nike Oil a lot, obviously, because that's where he was sitting. But, I mean, you're sitting around all these stars that travel all over. Um, and it was a it was a good, good time. There was some hill-hill matches, which were awesome. And, uh, yeah, like Tony's, Tony had a really good rotation run. I enjoyed that. It was nice. It was 40,000. Yeah, your internet sucks down there. Yeah, your audio is horrible, buddy. Right. Yeah, try leaving out and coming back in. That might help it out. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, Demetrius, did you get to watch any of it? You said you were I, uh, traveling this weekend. Where were you at? Well, I was. that was a family trip. Um, oh, okay. Anyway, uh, my first chance to – I was just more following along the brackets. You know, I'm, I'm rooting for my horses. We got a little Chris here in the chat. Uh, shout out. And uh, and then, of course, Josh Burble was down there, so I was kind of rooting Josh on. And then just kind of keeping up on the brackets and, and watching. And, uh, yeah, that was the first thing that struck me is how big this event has grown. Um, you know, I, I didn't go this year. I had a boot camp. I was training pool last week and, again, this week. But uh, I think that uh, in terms of domestic tournaments that I can't miss, you know, I've always had Turning Stone, Derby, and the U.S. Open have been kind of my can't-miss events. But I think uh, – I think after seeing this year, I think the Texas Open is now – it's going to be right there. Um, you know, I, I might even put it, uh, you know, higher – right now it's even higher than the Turning Stone in my mind. Uh, it's kind of like right behind the U.S. Open and Derby. I think the Texas Open is kind of the next must, must hit. And in terms of domestic competition, I think uh, I think Derby and then uh, the Texas Open is kind of like – you know, you got one pocket, you got nine ball, you got monster fields, you got international competition, but you've also got a lot of national-level players to where – you know, you might make it a ways in before you, you know, you don't always have to be playing an elite, you know, international player every round. So well, if Corey which, had it his way, you'd never have to, right? <laughs> well, which we'll one? get there. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, I mean, this is, um, I don't know, was this field, was this field tougher than the Derby City? I mean, this has, I mean, it's a very, it's a very small list, but like, the Derby, the last time we saw the Derby, Fedor wasn't allowed in it, and Eklanti wasn't allowed, or uh, Eklund wasn't allowed in it. I mean, I guess neither one of them were in this field either, but like. I think, the, I the, think the, that the, the top the players, I mean, who, who the wasn't there besides those two? The difference, though, with Derby is that you've got 500 player fields, and uh, and you've got a yeah. lot of domestic players that maybe can't play that great runout pool, but they they like to play one pocket or they like to play banks and the kind of the games where they get more turns. And plus, the other thing about Derby is that you've got a lot of players that just want to go watch, but it almost costs barely any more money to play than it does to watch. So you've got just these huge fields where you know if you look. I would say that the the top hundred is probably pretty similar, but I think that you've got a little bit more, um, a, a few more softer players, a little bit deeper. So if you're a, if you're above average, you can make it a little further into Derby um, yeah. before you start really getting tested. And uh, I, I just think there's a little bit more dead money and a little bit easier. I think Derby is a little softer on the bottom side, but I think on the top side they're pretty neck and neck. Yeah, I, and now that I say that, I mean I could I could come up with a bunch of players that aren't there. You know the filler. Josh wasn't there. Albin wasn't there. Although Albin, I don't think ever really goes to Derby. But there's there's a few players. But I'm telling you what, man. Looking at this field, this field was brutal. This field was absolutely stacked. You know, the final 64 players are all just in, just insanely high. Uh, I mean, it was it was an awesome field. It was an awesome turnout. I guess uh, let's let's talk about the one pocket first. Um, Shane, Shane again, man. How? You know, when we're talking about these, when we're talking about these top five lists, and we got Shane Van Boning, 
who makes almost nobody's yet whenever he plays in one of these, he wins it or takes top three. So he, he ends up uh, third place again. Is it, is it, un- is it crazy to think that he might actually be a top five player if he actually cared about the game? What do you think, Mike? Know, we'll start with you there. So you're kind of putting these videos together. Yeah. I think that it goes, it, he kind of, he kind of has that Tony Chohan kind of vibe to him where it's about how engaged Shane is. And, and that's what I mean. Like if Shane is engaged in the tournament and engaged in one pocket and cares, then yeah, he's a threat because he, he runs ball so well and he does have enough of a, of an understanding of the game to be able to hang with, you know, movers. Right. But then you saw him go and play Josh Roberts and Josh just really outmoved him because he wasn't going to outshoot him. Josh had a game plan from the very beginning and stuck to it. Um, and really just played that cat and mouse game with Shane very, very well. Um, but I don't know if I can consider Shane a top five one pocket player, but I definitely consider him a top 10. You know, I think it's just a matter of, of where you put Alex in the grand scheme of things today. And this is the thing, like I've been telling, I've been asking guys, give me your top five today. And I'm going to kind of like, uh, start a little bit of, of, uh, shit here, but I don't consider Alex Pagulain a top five one pocket player today. He's a shell of himself. His his cue ball is all over the place, and he's not running balls nearly the way he used to. Now pre COVID, for me, Alex was number one, and he's a number one for a lot of players. But I've seen it in Des Moines. I've seen it in Texas. I saw it at Buffalo's. Now he's got a month to get ready for Tony. But I can promise you one thing: if they play today, Tony runs over Alex. Now he can go and find a stroke in the middle of that set, but. Alex is not the same Alex that we're used to seeing at all. So, um, but yeah, I mean, Dennis was just masterful. I mean, that was my takeaway from the whole thing. You know, Dennis is back. Dennis is back being that. And I think he took the number one spot for me this week um, as far as being the best one pocket player because he's just, he's as sharp as ever. He makes it look like he's playing on a valley. <laughs> like, and, and he's just... Dennis is just cold blooded. It doesn't matter. The moment doesn't doesn't phase Dennis at all. It doesn't matter if he's playing the first like he's playing the finals like he's playing the first round, you know, with that same kind of way of moving around the table. So I don't know. I mean that's a that's a pretty big statement to make there. And you know It is. I, I when when I did my top five list, what I said was I don't know if it's Dennis or it's Alex, but I have to see Alex get knocked off before I take it away from him. I don't know if I stand behind that statement today. So I mean, Demetrius, what do you what's your thoughts on that? Where where do you think Alex has fallen into the pantheon of one pocket players right now? Yeah, I, I think that Mike brings up a really good point with Shane and engagement. You'd almost say that it kind of comes down to a three things that determine how good somebody is at one pocket. You've got their moving game, but then you've got their striking game, and then you've got their their desire and their engagement, right? So you've got you've got a guy like Filler, right, who beat Johan last year. And he doesn't have the depth of moving knowledge, but he, I mean, he does, he moves okay, but, but he had a lot of fire and he's the best, one of the best strikers in the world. And you put that together, it takes, you know, in order to, in order to have a guy out move filler, he better not only move good, but he better be super hungry and, and ready to strike and play really well. The problem with, uh, so looking at Shane, you know, for sure, Shane can strike as well as anyone. And then, and then if he, then the question is who really has that big of a moving edge to make up for Shane's striking edge. And not that many people do. And then it comes down to what Mike said, which is if Shane's not engaged, then guys like Justin Hall and Josh Roberts and Tony Chohan, they could they could definitely outplay him. 
um, if he's not ready for that. But if he's coming in there ready to go to war, like if Shane were to play best of three, you know, best of five sets to 10 against Chohan, and he was ready for war and he was playing one pocket and engaged. It's like, I just don't know that, that Tony moves that, you know, I know, well, that's a tough one. Tony does move so good. But anyway, but my point is, is that I think that if Shane was ready to bring it, I think that he's right there knocking on the door of the top five. Um, if when you look at Alex, I agree. Alex was always my favorite, but look at all three of those things. You know, first of all, his striking, like Mike said, you know, I saw it happen. It's sad two, three years ago when he was wearing glasses at these tournaments and starting to kind of miss Hill Hills against Shaw a couple of times. And just, you started seeing a little cracks in the armor a little bit. And over the last, you know, couple of years, uh, Alex has lost, you know, and I just, he's, he's a great player. He's always been going to be one of my favorite players of all time, but I don't think he's on top of his striking game. And then the problem with that is that it impacts his confidence and his, and his, his, uh, his engagement may not be quite as high. Uh, so you look at it and it's like, it's just hard to say he's not quite in his heyday. Uh, and yeah, he moves great and he competes great. But when you're not at 100% and you know it, it's hard to compete the same way as a guy like Filler would if when he knows it's on. So anyway, I think Alex has slipped a little bit. And I don't look at it like, I, I, I hate to be critical. I mean, what we're saying is, he may not any longer after a you know ten or fifteen year domination. He may not be the number one guy in the world. Like if that's criticism, that's pretty that's pretty reasonable yeah. criticism, and, you know. And I'm not so, trying to be disrespectful to him. Like yeah. I'm, 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 I'm like, and who knows? I mean, he was he was essentially gone for the game for what a year, year and a half, you know, because of COVID. So it's not to say that Alex can't get back to that level, but it just seems like every one pocket tournament that I've been watching from Alex. Like he's held to that number one player in the world standard. I'm sorry, he's, he's always famous, an open right. Bit. He's always yeah. So he's always yeah. He's always going to be a blind bit. And he was this year, uh, but it's just I don't see it right now. I don't see it. I see his cue ball get away from him far too much. I see him sell out shots that I can't like. I can't believe I'm seeing Alex's ball get there. Like it's it's unbelievable because we're used to seeing such precision from him. You know, um, and. I just I think Tony's playing better than ever. And I had a conversation with Tony whenever whenever I was there at the open. And I said, Man, nine eight's pretty interesting right now. I said, I'm I'm surprised y'all were able to go and, and and get it. And he said, Alex owed it to me. You know, Alex owed me nine eight because of, of me playing him before. And he said, And you know what? If if I win nine eight, I'll play him even. And then after that, if I win even, then I'll I'll take nine no, eight from I, there. I, I, I gotta yeah, I was gonna no, I gotta cut I gotta cut you off there first because he was on the podcast last week and what he said was I'm gonna play Alex nine eight and if I win, I'm gonna play Dennis nine eight. Yeah. And I'm gonna and then after that, I'm gonna give Alex a rematch even. And if he wins against Dennis nine eight, he's gonna give him a rematch. And it's, it's just but you, but he's right though, because really Tony's the only one outside of these outside of these ridiculous money games where they're giving up like 15-4 kind of spots or 16-4 kind of yeah. spots where they're chasing money and in a really bad game and got to be, you know, basically playing flawless. Um, Tony's the only one to give him play. So I think Tony's absolutely right that they do owe him, you know. But if I just if I just look at it today, and this is what I kept on telling guys like today, I talked to Billy and Cardona, which he's a, a legend in the game, you know, and asked his opinion on it. And everybody... I think everybody still says Alex because Alex is Alex, right? We're used to seeing such such great such greatness from him, you know. And that's whenever, like, whenever me and Joey were talking about it, that's how I included him in my top five. But then, like, if I just take the last, you know, year, if I just take this year, 
right? I can't do it. I cannot get him there. Like I've seen, I've seen Chip go and play better and better. I've seen Scott go and play better and better. When Justin Hall is actually playing a tournament, I've seen him go and play better and better. Oh, by the way, Dennis lost a step, but now he looks like he's back. You know, so um, and Tony, when when even whenever Tony was giving Chip a spot, Tony looked sharp. But when he was in Louisiana and he started squeezing him, that's a new Tony. That's a different kind of player than I've ever seen. And I don't know, man. I can't. The only, I, just, I, could, I couldn't get there. You know? The only thing about Alex, though, to be to be fair, is I've been, you know, I, again, I mean, to say that a guy might not be number one in the world, that's not critic. That's not. It's hard to take that as harsh criticism. I mean, it's just only one person could be there. But the thing about Alex is, you know, you're talking about tournaments with short sets and you know whatever. You lock the door on the guy in the cage and you put him in a race to forty. Uh, or you put him in a best of five races to 10 and Alex, you know, I don't know. He's tough to beat, you know, too. So it's like, you don't want to wake him up. I can promise you, you don't want, you don't want him to find that gear while, while you're in day one at the end of day one, you know, because then it's going to, he's going to really just torture you the rest of the three days, you know? And I agree with you a thousand percent, Demetrius, like, and it's possible. And that's the reason why, like, when I say it, I'm just saying it from what I'm watching today, but I do think he can get there, right? Because he's Alex and he's always got it. He's always figured it out. He's been the number one player in the world in one pocket for, as far as a lot of people's opinion for so long, you know? Um, when was the last time I this just, was even a debate? Yeah. No, it's been years, years and years. I, yeah. You know? So I think it's like, I almost feel like with some players, it's real close to the surface where they don't have to drill deep. It's like every set, they're just like like Dennis. He's just flowing every set. Alex, I feel like it's not as quite as quick to come to him. Like he has to dig a little deeper, and it's not right at the surface. And if he's playing set after set, there's going to be sets where he's not able to bring it. But I think if it's a long cage match, uh, I think he's going to dig pretty deep, and uh, I expect him to do well. Now, one thing I liked about this tournament, though, was uh, it was race to five on the one pocket. And uh, I think compare that to Derby, race to three. I really think race to five makes a huge difference in terms of letting the, the better players earn their way to the final rounds. What do you guys think? Well, I mean, what do you think about playing on four and a half, though? Because I, while I agree the race to five, the cream should rise to the top, right? But I think it, it's kind of offsetting when you play on four and a half. What do you think? I mean, I, I don't know. Well, you know, I think Derby is four and a half, uh, but – what happens is that those tables play a little soft in the, you know, and then as you start playing on them by day two, day three, they start playing a little bit normal. And by day four, five, and six, they start playing a little stingy uh, to where they're, I think they're standard four and a half, but they're like, at that point, they're kind of broken in. And the, they also, they don't polish the balls the whole time at Derby. So by day four or five, the balls are really gritty and they don't just flow in. Am I wrong on that? Or is that... I mean, that's my experience. So I, I think that four and a half by itself, I wasn't at the Texas Open where the ball is like freshly polished, just gliding in from everywhere. Yeah, they were cleaned no, every – all their balls are cleaned every single night, and there's like, what, 18 tables? And they well, use a double ball, diamond ball polisher, and they're beautiful. So I, I still every- like it because because with the race to five, if you have tight pockets and gritty balls – it, it, the, the length of those sets is going to double, and you're not going to be able to run a tournament in that short of a time period with that many players. So if I have a choice between tight pockets raised to – like, I guess that's an interesting question. Would you rather see tight pockets raised to three or four and a half raised to five? I don't know, man. I could be talked into either way. Either way, it's a good match. Well, I, I guess uh, before we continue on this, I, I want to give a huge shout-out to Josh Arias. Thank you very much. He sent some stars, so thank you very much. Um, but I, I, I guess you can't really do anything about the pocket size, right? Because 
I mean, what's the perfect size for what's the perfect size for an event like this for a one pocket? Like four and an eighth, probably four, something right. somewhere yeah. between four and four and an eighth. But yes. I mean, it's not like you can bring in a table mechanic the night before the nine ball starts and switch it back to four and a half. So do you want to play a nine? Yeah, do you want to play a nine ball event on four and an eighth? I mean, I'm sure some people in that field do, but that's pretty brutal. <laughs> I mean, the only the only place I could see being able to do that, what you're talking about, is maybe Buffalo's because they when Dirty. they have their big one pocket events. The, well, the, only other thing, the only other thing you can do is you could have, have nine ball too. You could have like board. you could have like two tables that are tighter, and then you could play. You, know, you could just tell people once we get down to the final four in the one pocket, and once we get down to the final four in the nine ball, we're going to switch to tighter equipment for the final rounds. Because otherwise, yeah. you slow everything down way too much. No, but but I mean, unless as long as long as you don't use those two tables the rest of the time, like you can only use those tables once you get down to the final eight, right? Because yeah. you can't use yeah. them in addition. Along the way, because but it's then you're like, just putting some people, you're, you're switching between four and an eighth to four and a half and back and forth. I think it's, I, I just think it's, uh, I just don't I, think it's any good. I don't think that's realistic because you can't play on a different equipment than what you got there playing on. And that, that right. that's my yeah. standpoint on it. But like, I mean, playing on four and a half doesn't take away from the great event. It doesn't take away from Shane getting third again after going and, and snapping off the more. It doesn't take away from Dennis's. Uh, uh, just basically making it look super easy, right? It doesn't take away from any of it. I just think that if you look at just from a pure one pocket standpoint, more players would go and say that you know they would rather go and play on 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 a, on a tighter uh, uh table. But I mean, all in all, like listen, race the five was fantastic. We got to see a lot of like really good matches, and um, me and Dom were fortunate enough to where we were there, and we got to sweat matches that were not just on the TV table because there was just. The field was so deep that there was there was fantastic matches everywhere, and if I'm going to go and criticize anything, um, it would be the days of having one camera on a stream are just ridiculous and unnecessary. There, there's more than there's more than enough avenues available to be able to set up another camera somewhere else, so that way the fans can go and and enjoy multiple tables at least at the very minimum too. At the very minimum, even team. even if there's um, no commentary, even if there's just no commentary, just an unmanned stream where it's you're streaming six, five, four, six tables. I mean, there was a match that nobody. I think Mikey. I think you recorded it actually. Nike Oi was down eight to four, and comes back and makes it hill hill. With like, Dennis, yeah, and the, that was even a sick match. Sick match. It was. I don't know. It was yeah. incredible. I, I wanted to touch on the the Alex thing. I talked to Alex while I was there, and uh, and I think Mike's video he posted about his top five kind of alluded to what he thought about his own game at that time. But he, he said, said he right now he's he's not ready right now. He says, but he's like, watch, I'm gonna be running. He'll be training. He's gonna be hitting balls. He's gonna do exactly what he does because there's a motivation and there's reason. I mean, there's 75k on the line, and there's gonna be a lot yeah. more. I'm sure by the do- time it goes, but yeah. No. Uh, He'll be prepared. Well, it depends. If Alex if Alex starts playing good, if he yeah, gets ready. because then yeah, his, if he gets ready. because then because then his side is gonna love it. But it, the caveat is he has to be playing good because the money the, the, the money's up now, right, for the hundred and fifty. But it could be a lot more, a, a ton more, because Tony's side really really loves Tony's side. They love it even, and I guarantee you they love it getting nine eight. So and it's yeah. but the thing is that if Alex is playing bad, they're gonna love it even more. But Alex is, and Alex and Alex has got one of. From what I from what I understand, Alex has one of the best backers in the industry with one of the deepest pockets. So money's not the problem at all. Confidence. So 
Um, well, yeah, but I mean, they're not stupid either, you know, but Alex has to be playing like he did before COVID, yeah. you know? So, so. I, I guess let me jump in for the, uh, the, the pocket size. Cause I, I think um, if there's one thing that, that is a, so you can't run a tournament like this with the same size pockets between your nine ball and your one pocket and have the, tr- the two games really be highlighted as best they can. Cause what I saw, and I didn't watch a ton of the one pocket. I probably watched about six or seven hours by the end of it. I saw the matches I wanted to see, and you know, it was, it was hey, don't. Anyways, um, <laughs> but what I saw was once a player got a shot, that's it. They they ran eight and out. They ran nine and out. They ran five and out. Whatever they needed, they ran they ran it out. Those four and a half inch pockets. I mean, once you get a look at the table, and, and I think a lot of it is like. Those four and an eighth pockets, when you have those really, really, really close ones, you know, you're shooting balls out of the stack. When you have just that little bit, that half inch more of the pocket nearly, and you're able to see, you know, a half inch more of the pocket or even, you know, a quarter inch more of the pocket, that makes a lot of balls in the stack go that wouldn't go on four and an eighth. And just having that pocket available, that opens up a lot of, you know, those 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 shots into the pocket when you, you crack the cluster and everything's wide open from there. It's, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's a completely good. different game. It's a completely it's different game. Yeah, because it you're, it really when, you, when you're leaving, when you're, when you're leaving little, little teasers out there, they ain't shooting them like that on four and eight no. or four inch pockets. Like they are in four and a half, no. you know, fact, it's a whole just different they know game. you're not stupid enough to play them. Right. Yeah. And you, you also got to remember that. Four and eight, you'll see. <laughs> you got to also remember that this is these are local businesses that, I mean, to have them have installed four and a quarter or four and an eighth, they're going to have to have that equipment for the oh, rest yeah. of the you year. Can't do it. You yeah, know, you just can't and do it. the locals, the locals are going to want to make more than two balls in a row. You know, yep. that's just league and all that other. But whatever event that we bring tables to, such as derby, um, match rooms, obviously, and predator events. Uh, that bring the tables that supply them. I mean, those can automatically become four and a quarter. I think the way our industry is going with all the money matches we have, the exposure that we're getting as the industry right now, um, I think it's only a matter of time before we start seeing 15 ball rotation. We start seeing tighter pockets. It's going to have to be. Get, You'll have to. There. Not anytime soon. No. We're going to have that, to change leave that for, leave, leave that for what? Well, no, maybe, no maybe they can... won't have a 15 ball rotation tournament. Maybe they can start no, playing that in act like action. In the yeah, U.S., I think we should probably be removable. I think we should start playing eight ball, but rotation style. <laughs> I like. That. I think the U.S. players should should only have to make the. We should just get the eight ball. <laughs> okay, <laughs> <laughs> that's where we're going, right? Isn't that what the I whole think that's tweet? A good transition there, Demetrius, to go yeah. and, uh, and bring up old Corey's post. Well, why why don't we actually? Because we can talk about the nine ball portion of this afterwards, and I guess. Um, I hope I don't have to play devil's advocate on this to stand up for Corey. Um, but I know exactly how at least one of you feel. And I, and I have to assume that, uh, Mike, your shadow is going to fall, you know, in line with what you think. Uh, well, I commented before what? Mike ever posted. <laughs> I love you, Dom. <laughs> so, uh, Demetrius, why don't you get us started with it? Uh, well, I guess let, let, let me, let me actually give the backstory. I really should do that. So Corey Duell made the post, um, you know, Corey Duell, one of the, you know, you probably can't, you certainly can't make a top 10 list of the greatest U.S. players of all time, probably without him being on it. I don't see how you can do that. Um, so I, I guess he made a post uh, basically saying, well, why don't we just se- segregate out 
Uh, I think it started out with segregating out all of the Europeans uh, and Asian players into one side of the bracket, the U.S. players into the other side of the bracket. And what this does is it guarantees that there's going to be a U.S. versus the world final. Later on, he said, well, why don't you just take the top five from Europe and then the top five from the U.S.? and just segregate those, get those guys separated from each other, and then do a random draw for the rest of the X amount of players. Uh, first off, that doesn't work because you can, take, you, can, you can get rid of the top 20 European players, and you know 21 through 25 are still going to be better than number three through five in the U.S. So that still doesn't work. So, anyways. Hold on. The, back, the real backstory is this, and Dom was there, and I, I showed up right when all the, whenever all the drama was there, right? This is nobody pre, knows, nobody this knows is, this. Yeah, this is pre-Facebook post, okay? Right. So I'm getting dropped off at the car. I'm, I mean, I'm sorry, in front of the venue. And, and, and I just hear Corey going off, like right in front of the venue. And I like Corey, for the record. I do. I, I really enjoy Corey. Um, but, and then I see it's Omar. Omar and Corey, which Omar considered one of the nicest guys in pool, personally. I just do. And everyone, everyone that I've always talked to had nothing but great things to go and say. So I was really surprised. They're getting into it. And Dom will go and, and tell you that, that backstory. But at the end of it, after they're yelling and Dennis is holding Omar back, right? And I don't think it was ever going to come to blows. But I think that, I mean, they were they were right there. You know, they were right there in each other's face. At the end of it, Corey storming <laughs> off. And... I don't want to quote him, right? But it more or less, he said, you come over here to our country and you play in all of our tournaments and you take all of our money and it's complete BS. More or less, that's what he said. Now, mind you, there's Filipinos outside. There's Omar, who's not American outside. So for Corey to kind of say that and walk off was kind of like, I couldn't believe Wait, it. He said this to Omar, right? Yes, he said okay, that right. to Omar as he's walking away. You come into right. our country, you play all of our tournaments, you take all of our money, it's complete BS, and then walks away. Now you fast right, forward so an hour and a half. Yeah, so Dom will tell you what happened leading up to that. It was just more like, so they had a match. Corey was leading in the match. I don't think, I don't know if maybe it was ninth through 12th or something to get in there, which is a different payday on the bracket. Um, and... Corey was shooting like a six or a seven ball to get out, and Omar decided to clean off his shaft while Corey was shooting. And instead of Corey getting up, he missed the ball and blamed him. And just basically, why didn't you just throw the towel in the middle of the air at that point? I was just mad because he got sharked, and Omar's like, dude, I would never do that. And he's just basically saying, I'm a nice guy, and Corey, you know, let him know that. He didn't think he was a nice guy, and <laughs> words were exchanged. And then Mike comes strolling up with a backpack and his cue case, and what is going just on? like <laughs> just showed up for the first date with a confused look. And I mean, you had Scott Frost out there, Tony out there, and yeah. all that good stuff. And it was just some good drama. Easy. I mean, I think any drama is good for the industry, personally. So, but yeah, <laughs> then awesome. two hours later, you got Corey make a post about how he needed to practice more, and he worded that differently. He worded it about putting foreigners in different brackets. Um, and uh, what was more interesting about anything is I don't think you've ever seen this, and I, I know I haven't. Have you ever seen a person respond to every single person that's commented on their post ever? Yeah. Corey man. <laughs> Corey replied to every single person that responded to the post. He hadn't been on Facebook in like two years up until that point, <laughs> had he? I mean, <laughs> yeah. 
Okay, so so that's the backstory. Basically, Corey thinks he Corey thinks he's sharked. Um, the fact that he dogged the ball, maybe he was sharked because of it. Maybe he just dogged it and needed someone to blame. Who knows? Um, I know that everybody in their world has, at one point in time in their career, looked at somebody and said, you know, I missed the shot because of you. Guilty. I mean, I'm sure everybody can say that they have at one point in time. Whether or not it was real, who knows? Let's give him the benefit of the doubt and say that it was. Let's talk about the actual content of his post. So, Demetrius, why don't you get us started? Uh, do you think that this is a real idea, or do you think that we should basically just chalk it up to being a sore loser? Well, it's a really it, – I think it's a funny question because you've got different – like we don't, nobody even has a united vision of what pool should be, where it should go. There's no organization that's really, you know, Matchroom is trying to step up and do some of this, but there's not like a universal body of pool. So you've got, you've got the tournament promoters, you've got the sponsors, you've got the players, you've got the spectators, you've got the aspiring players. There's so many different groups that all kind of want what they all want. Uh, in the end, I think that the general consensus is always going to be that when we see top tournaments. We want to see top players even up fighting each other to see who's best. Uh, if there's a place for amateur tournaments and if there's a place for lower-level tournaments or Fargo-capped or handicapped, I think that's fine. But when we come to our main events, I think that we should see uh, open play. Now, the, the only question that I would have then, and I'd be interested to hear your other thoughts, is I do know that, like, for example, in Minnesota, at our local level, People don't like it when we are having our local tournaments and then you got these, you know, out of town regional pros from other regions that swoop in and try to just gobble up the prize money. Like for example, in our region, if we had if we had somebody that was from the other side of the country, like say Josh Roberts, and he just flies up and starts playing in local bar table events in Minnesota and Wisconsin and just kind of running around robbing amateur tournaments, at some point they'd be like, Hey, why don't you play in the pro tournaments or your own region? You know, we don't want to just kind of get heisted by these out-of-towners that happen to be way better than us. And so that's why they have Fargo caps or whatever. So I guess I can understand how a U.S. player like Corey might feel that the U.S. pools become kind of like a region where the international players are just coming in and stomping on our money. The only thing I would say is, is there a – the only question mark would be, is there a place for domestic pool tournaments that are U.S. only? Like, uh, you know – Hey, you got to be a you know U.S. player to play like a wow. U.S. tour, and then, and then also some international event. Hang on, hang on. So my overall feeling though is when it comes to pros, I don't like any handicaps. I don't like any split brackets. I even really don't like seeded tournaments. Uh, if I go play the best in the world, I want a fair chance against them. I like totally open. Everybody can play. Anybody can win. Or you have to qualify to play and then and, and then win, earn your spot and then win. But I like a totally open, non handicapped. But I do think there's a fair question to be asked is, is there a place for U.S. tournaments only? Well, the, the NBL uh, is supposed to be that, right? If, if, if they can ever get it off the ground and get it started up, I mean, that is, you have to be a U.S. resident to be in those. So you don't have to be a U.S. citizen, but you have to, have, you have, to have to own a home in the U.S. So somebody like Thorsten Holman would be okay. Darren Appleton used to. Now he doesn't own his house in... Uh, do you own it in what Pennsylvania or was it Boston or Massachusetts? Whatever it was, he doesn't own that anymore, so he can't plan it. So, the, but I just wanted to jump in there. So that theoretically is starting up in the U.S. Uh, Mike, what do you think? I think I think it's ridiculous. I I think I think that the I, while I while listen, I watch a lot of tennis, and this was a reference on 
one of those posts. And I, I, I can see the idea of having seeds, but seeds based on ability, not based off of where you're from, right? I don't mind having rankings based off of where you're at and let's say Fargo or WPA or whatever it is you want to go and do, right? I can understand that. But that's based off of how great you play. If you want to go and see those players in a tournament similar to how they do in tennis, I'm fine with that. But doing it just based off of, you know, being an American or being, you know, from a different country, I don't get it. I don't buy it. I don't, I don't, while, while there's a lot more added money events going on right now, ask those promoters if they would want to have players from all over the world go and join in and see if there would still be all those added money tournaments. If it was just, if it was just only American players that were allowed to go and play it, because I got a good idea of what the answer would be. And I think he's completely naive or has his head under the ground if he thinks that it would still be the same way. Pool is thriving because of the amount of talent that's in it. And they want those players to come over and come to their venue or come to Vegas or come to Atlantic City to go and showcase the best of the best. And if you're not anymore, guess what? Father Time is undefeated. Step up your game. Ralph is still playing great. Ernesto Dominguez gave Omar hell playing nine ball. There's a lot of players who are older who can still go and get there in a race to nine format. And if you're not getting there consistently, then you're not putting in the effort consistently. That's my take on it. And I, I listen, and I'm not trying to be a jerk to Corey about it for, you know, and I guess I can kind of see it more or less where he's coming from because he's on tilt because he just lost or whatever, but it, it's ridiculous. Plain and simple. There's other ways to go and figure out who the best American players are. I don't think Corey's in that mix at this point in his career. Um, that aside, on an American level, then you include all the international talent, and I think that's why he's frustrated with it. Yeah. But, all right, Dom, take us through it. Got nothing new to add. I don't want to be redundant. Yeah, so I, I guess I don't really either, but um, I, I want to approach it from a different stand and kind of see like – okay, so I, I don't disagree with exactly what you just said, Mike. I think this is coming from – first off, it should have been deleted immediately. It should have been deleted after a half hour because it, it is just sour grapes. Like, so, so let, I want to expand upon the idea that um, you said Ralph is still playing great. Ralph is, Ralph is playing so good. Ralph is, I'm going to get this wrong, 47, 47, 48, something like that. He looks 88. Yeah, right. Uh, but uh, he's, let's just, I think he's 47. Somebody out there in the comments can, you know, no fact way check me. 47. Let's say he's 47. How many players in the U.S. can we name that aren't 47 that haven't had a career in 10 years or five years? Let's let's say five years who used to be top players. John Schmidt. Rodney Morris. Kind of Corey Duell, right? Wait, say that again. The top what? Let's name all the players that are younger than Ralph Suquet who have not really had a career for five years in this industry who are. Very, very top players at one point in time in the U.S. Those three players, right? I we can. Uh, ex- I think I think John's kind of an exception because John has taken interest outside of pool to where financially that, he doesn't have to fine. Go and do that. And on, yeah, there's but but where, I'm not, I'm not giving players a like Rodney were kind of just like I think they were kind of just okay. There's the door, you yeah. know. Because okay, so Ralph's okay is 52. Perfect. That's even better. But my, my, my point is it doesn't matter why you're not in the industry. The point is, is that you're not in the industry where other players around the, the world, you know, they, they, they still try to play, right? That we have so much wasted talent. Once you get to about 40, you just drop off a cliff, right? 
like those players I just said, right? I mean, you can Mike DeShane is back playing again. That's great. Uh, but I mean, he took a long hiatus. Players like Dennis Hatch, Mitch Ellerman, players like this that had all the talents in the world, and like they just get to the point where they don't compete at the top level anymore. They don't want to. They don't want to practice. My point. My my greater point here is American exceptionalism seems to be if you can't compete at the highest level, either get rid of the people, and that's what I see as this post. Get rid of the people that you can't beat and just try to keep it as it is, which is kind of the handicap thing, which is exactly what Demetrius is talking about. Uh, just get rid of the people that you can't beat and compete with the people you can, or just stop playing. So, right? I mean, how many how many people have done that in the last ten years? How many how much of our weight how much of our top U.S. talent has been has just left the game in the last ten years? Okay, as, but Nate, but Nate. So Fedor, Fedor, by the way, has, I, I think his comment. You know, he's he's gets a voice. He says there should be a separate tournament for Americans, like the American Pro Tour. So here's here's the uh, here's the point. The idea is not to kick out international. And I'm not talking about Corey's idea. Corey's idea, I'm not standing behind. But the idea of having the U.S. only player tournaments, the advantage that it wouldn't be about kicking out top international players so we don't have to get better. It would be about having a tournament tour to where top American players could compete or top U.S. players could compete regularly, maybe even make some money, gain some confidence, win some events, and then also play international tournaments so that they're profitable and competitive on the state side, building confidence, building bankroll, so that they have a way to to get to their best and deliver their best. You know, if, if, um, you know, that's, that's all. I mean, is there a spot to have just U.S. only tournaments as well as international tournaments? That's the question. Yeah. I'm okay with it. I I don't see a reason why we couldn't. No, that's a whole different. I agree with you, Demetrius. That's a yeah. whole different. That's but that's a whole not what I'm saying, right there. So that, and yeah. then and then I just want to make a. Somebody had asked about why people don't like seated, you know, or why some people would be against seated pl- tournaments because top players have earned the right not to play each other. I'll just. This is just my viewpoint, well, right? Hold so, off on that because I want. I want to talk about that more extensively. In a little okay. Bit. Okay. I, we'll I do want to bring that one up. I do want to bring that up. But my my broader point is like. It's. It seems like in the U.S., if you get to the point where you're you're no longer competing at your, you're not beating everybody in your area, and you're not starting to compete at the national level, and you can like Justin Espinosa is at a perfect spot with this right now. Justin Espinosa is now at a point in his career where he's not dominating his area, but he's he's winning a lot, and he's doing really well. He's doing really strong, and he's ready to get into the box and get into those bigger events. And what what you end up seeing is there's a lot of players that end up like kind of cycling through this and. They, they beat up on their area and then they go into the national and, you know, maybe it's just you're, you're like a, a mid-sized fish going into a big old lake and you see players like Fedor and you see players like Josh. Who, the game is just so easy to them and you're sitting here grinding through the racks and it's just so easy to them and it's discouraging. And, you know, I'm not saying this can happen to Justin because I think he's got too much heart, but like there's a lot of players that they, they just get to this point and it just seems like they just give up and they just go back to selling cars or, you know, Whatever, whatever players do, lay concrete. I, I don't know what the players do. The point is, is it just doesn't seem like the U.S. players have the heart to practice and compete, even when it goes through the grind of having to, you know, compete again at kind of as like a reset of like the national level as opposed to, you know, just beating up on your area. It just seems like a lot of players just give up eventually instead of continuing to practice. Well, that, okay, that's all so, I'm saying. So I know, I know a few people. I know a few people that have gotten – to be strong national level players that saw the gap between them and the top international players. And just kind of, like you said, kind of aborted their journey. Uh, They just said, just 
it's and it wasn't even about that's going to be too much work. I don't think it was that's going to be too much work. It was just I don't I don't see how I could close that gap. Now, what I'll tell you though is when we talk about the European players, let's just talk about the European players for a minute, and we talk about them coming over and how they elevate their game and come over. But they didn't come over here and elevate their game here. There's a Euro Tour and there's all the play. I mean, think of how many European players are playing and competing. We, The only people, that, you know, the ones that come over, Thorsten back when he was on top of his game, Shaw, you know, now we've got Filler or Federer that spent a lot of time over here. Uh, you know, you've got a handful of uh, a handful of the top, top, top European players that come and like, we got good on European soil. Now we're going to come take the dead money in the U.S., and it's like we don't see the number – I mean, I know that it's pretty deep talent, but we don't see the number 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 guy come over and try to heist local tournaments. So it's like they, they play or put, you know play uh, smaller U.S. tournaments. So it seems like it seems like uh, they play like, – like Fedor said, they play a Euro Tour. They play regional and countrywide and, and you know continental events over there. And then the top players that move over here, hey, there's nothing to stop them. I, I, I welcome them. But – that's and that's the reason that for the US players <laughs> if the if the US players had a US tour to where they could make money and be successful and move up the ranks and then all of a sudden our top would our top 5 be stronger would our top 5 be able to then you know do better would we have better representation at the highest level if there was a place to go between 700 Fargo and 820 you know I mean, at the end of the day, I, I guess my big point is, and and I get the, I see the the chat. A lot of people are saying that they they leave the game because there's less money. I mean, yes, it's it's true, but I mean, I I also see a lot of players who, if they're very smart with their money, they can, you know, they're not off buying, you know, racking up two hundred dollar bar tabs or whatever. Like, I get that there's not a lot of money in pool necessarily for that level of player. All I'm saying, as there's a reason the Asian players, the European players, the now um, Middle Eastern players, there's a reason there's here. There's a lot of money in pool in, in the U.S. The point is, is there's not a lot of money for the Americans because they don't they don't make it deep enough into the tournaments. All of like there's a reason all of the Filipinos are here as, as close to year round as they can get. There is money in pool. You just got to be good enough to get it. And our Americans just don't seem to be outside of Shane, Sky. Justin doesn't travel anymore. Billy can, you know, get there every now and then. But besides Shane and Sky, I mean, there's, there's Tyler Steyer is a perfect example. Tyler is very strict with his money. Tyler's very frugal with his money. You don't see Tyler cashing at these tournaments all that often, but he's still at every single one of them. So what's, why, why is he able to do it? But other players can, and if somebody can answer me that question, then I'll believe that there's no money in pool. And that's why people have to leave. Hold on a second, because I mean, he's, it they it's the long game in pool but there's there's uh there's light at the end of the tunnel right now everyone just wants this fast food i want it right now kind of way it's just not the way it is right now but there is a light i and i and i'm not just saying that because i believe in, i like Matt, what matchroom's doing i like what omega mike's doing i'm not saying that because of that i'm saying it because that's what i believe that's what i see you know but these guys have just been used to it for so long maybe they're jaded Right, and they don't want to go and do it, or I don't want to travel outside of my area, or I don't want to have to go and deal with all these uh, uh, a tougher, a, a deeper field of players. And as great as Shane is, and Shane is great, re- remember this: Shane wasn't going to go to the Texas Open because Vegas was easier. So there's something to be said about about being smarter when it comes to what tournaments you're in, right? So I mean, I, well, and I can I can appreciate that side of the argument as as well, but. At the end of the day, listen, there's guys like 
the, like the Filipinos, Jeff, and me and Jeff don't always get along, but he's giving up the five out playing 10 ball to a pretty solid player to go and get his piece <laughs> of the pie. There's Tony entering in a rotation tournament with a stacked field full of players trying to get his piece of the pie when he's not considered a rotation player. You know, so guys are getting creative in order to get their piece of the pie to keep on going. But sitting and bitching about it on social media ain't the way to go and do it. Or the, to go and the, segregate everyone. The only thing I want to say about uh, Corey, though, is that I feel like the U.S. players were at the top of pool until, you know, when Corey won the U.S. Open or back in 2000 to 2004, Corey was right at the top of pool. When the when Shane came, you know, he actually beat Corey to kind of take the top spot and in that race to 100. And, and ever since then, between Shane and then the international players, Corey's kind of went to second tier, you know, and in the last 10 or 12 years, Corey's been second or third tier. But if you look at what he's done, he went back to work on his fundamentals. He started playing, you know, snooker. He started playing international competition. He he's worked. He's went back to work on his game. So I just want to be fair. There are players, and and again, I don't know the whole story behind Rodney Morris or other other people, right? I just know that if you look at the U.S. players that were at the top of the game between 2000 and 2005, when the when Shane came and then the international players came and started dominating, most of the top U.S. players from 2004 exited the game. And, you know, like, you know, whether it was Danny Basinovich, Mike Davis, whoever the top U.S. players were. But now you look at Corey. He's like one of the only guys I saw that said, I'm going to try to rise my game and continue to compete at the highest level. He he raised his game, and he did try to continue to compete at the highest level. It just it just got too tough for him. So, I mean, he he tried, man. He tried. And I just – he didn't, well, he didn't I mean, like listen. quit and whine about it. I just want to give him a little credit. He didn't quit and whine about it. He gave his best. It just wasn't good enough. I don't know what Corey's work ethic is like before a tournament, but I can tell you it ain't like Tyler's is during the tournament. It ain't like Shane's is during the tournament, and it's not like Sky's is during the tournament. Okay, I, like, again, I'm I can't tell you what what work he's putting in before then, but those guys are playing all day long. They're practicing, and they're not just practicing nine ball. Tyler's there practicing his ten ball break. Dennis is there practicing his ten ball break during a nine ball tournament. They're playing pool all day long, 24-7. That's why they go deep. Tyler may not always get there, but Tyler's putting in the work to be that to be that kind of player. Absolutely. And I and I and I want to I want to point this out too. Uh Bill Goodman said Tyler is able to do that because he has a good sponsor. Sure, that's part of that's that's part of the job, right? I mean, you, you don't don't tell me that pool is just about winning tournaments, right? There's not enough money maybe in order for that. You've got to have a good sponsor. And what do you what what do we all religiously say about Tyler Steyer? He is the exact consummate professional. He's always dressed for the occasion. He's always acting like he's supposed to on the table. He's always taking care of he's, – he's going the extra mile, doing those junior boot camps, helping out the players whenever they can. He is somebody that the players or sponsors want to associate themselves with. Thousand percent. And I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go out there and dog on you know any of the older school players. But all I'm when I grew up and you know I'm young. So Demetrius, you're you're a little older here. Why don't you tell me if I'm wrong here? Do you remember a lot back into the early 2000s, even into the early aughts, where you saw a lot of the big name professional players volunteer their time to do junior? clinics for free is that something that you remember seeing what, a lot of what i think is I, obviously this has completely changed uh what we expect from our pros and what we think about as a pro and pros should be acting and how they should conduct themselves has totally changed and i think a big part of that has been the internet uh has been the ability you know facebook has been the ability to do things where 
be, you know, like Matchroom, like Emily has said in the past, we don't just want performers. We want people that can market and connect with the audience. And I think that that has changed what we expect from our That's pros. Fair. And so when we look at That's guys fair. like Corey, you know, not one of the reasons Corey's not putting in the work is that not only, I mean, he, he just, he can't, his best days are behind him. He understands that he's worked hard to, to make his, his, the end of his run as competitive as possible, but he's never going to have the same enthusiasm in his practice as a guy like Tyler, who still thinks that maybe he beats Fedor someday, you know, for the number one spot. And Tyler's got every reason in the world to get discouraged after what happened last year. Let's just be realistic. He had every reason in the world to be bitter and sour and say the hell with this. And you know what? And I'm, and, and, uh, me and him talked whenever whenever all that Moscone uh, Cup drama had happened. And I said, man, just stay the course. You're doing a great job. You're a great ambassador. Just keep doing it. Stay focused. Stay motivated. Stay, you know, keep your eye on the side. And I think I think it's going to pay off. You know, um, Justin ain't making the team this year. I'd be surprised if Tyler's not picked for Team USA this year. Mm-hmm. And that, hey, and listen, Nate, that, that, that's official. I talked to Emily today. Justin's out. So if y'all didn't know, y'all know now. He ain't playing. He's not in consideration. Why would he? Well, I mean, I, he, he he's canceled he a bunch. Of, I mean, he, no, no, he shouldn't. I agree with you, thousand percent. But there's a lot of people who still think that he's still going to be a part of the team and or well, that he's got a chance to go to go and make it. But it, I shouldn't. I shouldn't even. I shouldn't even say that. I shouldn't even say that because I, I don't mean that. He should still be in consideration because I. I it. it I think he needs to be in consideration just because without him, we're 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 in a lot of trouble. <laughs> but yeah, look before I uh, before I fake cry on air anymore. Uh, I want to give a huge shout out to Billy Andrews Jr. Thank you as well for the stars. Really appreciate that. Uh, so I, I always want to get those in because I don't know. I want to be a star like Dom someday. So the more I get, the closer I closer I get, huh? I will say this, though, talking about the Tyler thing, I got to hang out with Tyler at the Texas Open a little bit, and uh, what Mike alluded to with, he was on the table for six and a half hours straight with no breaks, no cell phone usage or anything, just practicing for six and a half hours straight. And I was there when it first started, me and Mike posted pictures when they first started practicing, and then like later on in the day, I, went, I was passing by to try to find some something to do, and, and he's still sitting over there. I said, what are you doing, man? Like, what are you doing right now? He's like, I'm practicing. I said, come on. Like, go eat. Do something with your life. Like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm practicing, man. This is what you got to do. And we talked about uh, why he does that. So there was a um, – Shane told him – I don't want to give out too many of the details because I don't know if he wants it public. But Shane gave him an X amount of hours of how long it took for him to achieve this – the break. All right, the break was what he was referring to. And uh, and any habit in pool, he said it requires, you know, three days of eight hours and you'll get a concept. And every time you're practicing the same thing for eight hours, you're going to get better and better and better if you continue to do that one thing. And uh, so his practice regimen home is eight hours on a drill like that. Do you take uh, do you take uh, suggestions, Dom? Spend three <laughs> no, days, eight hours trying hard... to figure out your Internet connection. I just have a hard time respecting somebody I play better than. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to take lessons from somebody when I can give me a. Well, my internet's better than yours, so you can take uh, you can take suggestions there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> can I? Okay. Can I? Don't. Can I give my opinion on the seated thing or not yet? Do you have any closing comments? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Let's 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 branch into. Well, for does anybody have any wrap up discussions of that? I think we all kind of think it's a little. 
I, I don't want to speak for anybody, but I think we all kind of think it's sour grapes and it's just, you know, the, the Omar situation probably sparked it. And next thing you know, you know, he's, he's posting that out there. I don't, I, nobody thinks it's a really good idea. Right. No. Okay. Yeah. So uh, let's, uh, let's, let's jump in with uh, that discussion now. Cause I think I, so I guess let, let's look at the broader world of sports. Um, the three major, we're going to talk about the U S um, and Jim, you're such a handsome guy. We all know. Uh, so let's let's look at the three, the four, four-ish major sports. We have football, baseball, basketball, and uh, hockey. Right? Those are the four major sports in the U.S. Major. And the idea is you you play a series of regular season events, um, a set schedule if you want, and then you finish with a playoffs or some sort of final tournament, which is seeded. Right? So. That is one way of doing it. Another way of doing it is like golf, right? All we're doing in golf is every single weekend you go into it, everybody starts, you do four rounds. At the end of your 72 holes, uh, you, you have a winner. That's a possibility. Is that 72? No. Yeah, 72 holes. You have your winner. Uh, you could also do it like, uh, I guess, tennis, where every single basically event is seated and you are seated based off of your world rankings. So I guess let's, I just want to do that some context. Where do we really want a pigeonhole pool into, or do we want to do a combination of all three? Which do we think would be the best for building pool in the future? And Demetrius, go on, because I, I got yeah. a feeling that you're going to be able to uh, talk to that. I think that there's, I think that there's room for different, different things, right? So when it comes to things like the world championship, if they want to seed it, you know, you're talking about the best players in the world fighting for the biggest title in the world. Do what you want to do. Uh, I think that when it comes to, you know, whatever. So my whole thing, and just to explain to somebody in the comments why I don't like, I don't like when all the events are seated, is that I'm, you know, we've taught everybody feels like they're in the no man's land, but what am I, 738 or something, Fargo? So it's like, for me, I don't play in my home state anymore. Everything's Fargo-capped, handicapped, some combination of all, and it's all on a bar table. For me, I have, I just have this one thing that I want in my life, which is what I had in the 90s and the 2000s. I like to be able to go into a pool tournament, play on a nine-foot table, and play even. That's, that's what I want. If we had even nine-foot pool tournaments here in the Midwest, I would play them. Nate, do we have when was the last time you saw a big table nine ball tournament with no handicap in Wisconsin? Have you seen one in the last five years? Very rarely, right? They're all Fargo capped. Whoa, 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 whoa. All right. Your buddy won one. Okay. So but that was that was the US Open qualifier. So it has to be, right? You can't you can't right. do a handicapped US Open qualifier. That'd be stupid. So, right. So <laughs> my so my whole point is so it. my whole point is is that I don't play in my local state. I don't play in my region even. I like to go – I'm willing to – and I'm willing to buy plane tickets and airfare and pay an entry fee. I'm willing to be stuck 800 or or $1,000 to play an event. I've got no chance of winning and very unlikely to even break even because the competition is so strong. That's how I feel when I go to Derby, Turning Stone, if I go to the Texas Open. I mean, there's all these tournaments I can go play. I'll be going to this Ohio Pro event here next, you know, next month or whatever. Um, but – I, I don't. I don't want to handicap. I don't want to. I don't want to steal from. I don't want to go rob local small tournaments. I don't want to handicap from anybody better than me. I just like to go play even. And so when I have to go play, where the top players are spread out, 
and then I have to play one of them first round and then play from the B side because I draw a top, you know, an 810 player half the tournaments I go to on the first round. That's fatiguing to me, man. I, I just want a chance. I want a chance to get a good draw just like everybody else wants a chance. And so I guess I feel like there's room for there's room for seated events that are being like if they're match room, you know, big events, you know, whatever, you know, world world championships, that's fine. But I, I'd like to be able to go play. I'd like to be able to go play Turning Stone, you know, Derby. I love Derby. It's just a random draw. When I play Turning Stone or if I play the Texas Open, I don't feel like these are tournaments that ought to be seated. I feel like I ought to get a fair shake. And anyway, so to answer the comments, where are my tournaments where I can play even? I just want to play. I don't want to handicap. I just don't want to give one up. Mike, oh, you you missed this. Uh, so, uh, Dom, why don't you take it over? Yeah, <laughs> just t- talking about seating tournament seating where we stand in the U.S. Well, making- okay, okay. So, the idea is, there's in my mind, there's three types of tournaments. There are tournaments that are seated all the way through. Uh, tournaments like this would be uh, boxing tournaments, does it as well as tennis tournaments, stuff like that, where you know Rafael Nadal is always going to have a top three seed whenever he plays at uh, Novak Djokovic, Roger Federer. Every single tournament is seeded. You get your first three matches against people who can barely hold the tennis racket, and then you start playing the real thing in the quarters. Uh, that is seeded on every single time. There's also tournaments, or there are also sports that do uh, completely open pretty much, and that would be your golf. So at the end of 72 holes, whoever has the lowest score is the winner. Then you have kind of variations of it. Those would be like your four major sports where you, you do a series of events, which then gives you a ranking going into the playoffs where you have a separate tournament. So that'd be like football. You play an entire regular season to get your seeding into the playoffs, and then you finish out your final tournament to see who's the champion. There's three different kind of variations in my mind that I see as far as um, handicapping tournaments or not or seeding or not seeding tournaments. Um, which do we think that would be the best for pool going forward? When it comes to the pro events, I don't I don't care for the seeding aspect or whether it is or not. I mean, if it's not seeded, the cream's going to rise to the top anyway. If you seeded, it makes it a little bit easier. If they play good, they're going to rise to the top no matter what. So it's – I don't mind it either way. I'm good without it, honestly. And there's plenty of handicaps for the locals. Like Florida, we're huge into 600 and unders, 650 and under, 700 and under. Uh, but we also sprinkle – Yeah, in Florida we have tons. I mean, we're literally running about – like last weekend we did – Florida did eight tournaments in one weekend. All across the state. I don't. I mean, I don't know why. That's just poor planning, which is where I step in and try to like help the state with organization as far as just communication with each other. I mean, stop, Mike. But uh, <laughs> I mean, let, listen. Man, if you don't like seeding, you ain't never seen March Madness. You ain't never seen March Madness. That's so go watch. Go watch March Madness every, every year. You would listen if you would. You're gonna have stories throughout a tournament. You just saw. A 14-year-old kid go and knock out Shane out of the world championships, right? So you'll, you'll if if you go and just take all these all these people out or not have it be in an open event, what? What am I lying? Am I lying? I don't think he was 14, but <laughs> I think he was like 20, wasn't he? Well, how old is he? But I think he's like 20. Was he? Well, I don't know. Yeah, he's yeah he's he's. Well, but regardless, I, I get what you're saying. Well, the, the idea, so like the March Madness, yeah. what you're talking about, that would be like the uh, the the major sport. So that'd be like the football, basketball. You play an entire regular season. Yeah. And how great would that be if we had like a regular tour? Like maybe, maybe what this, you know what, Predator, how perfect would this be? You play all five of their tours and then you play the Puerto Rico Open or whatever the final, whatever the final event is. And the final event is seated. 
And the only way that you can get into the final event is to play at least three of the five tour stops or whatever it is. And then the final's going to be seated. Why not? I would love that. I would love that. That would be awesome, right? But that only works if mm -hmm. we have a tour. So the March Madness thing that you said, that'd be great. But it only works if there's a tour where you can actually gain points. The European Championships I thought would be awesome like this. But I don't I, – and Mike and Perhagen are both in there in the chats. They don't the, – the European Championships are not seated, correct? I, I think the European Championships are, are a little bit different because mm -hmm. I, I think you have to qualify for those. Jim, I know. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it would be a great idea to see something like the Euro Tours where after the 10th Euro Tour, they have a Euro Finals where, you know, if you – they take the top 32 players and they're seated based off of the amount of points you get from, um, from you know, the Euro Tours. If you win one, you get, I don't know, 20 points. And whoever has the most points by the end of all the Euro Tours gets the number one seed and they play against the number 32 seed. Number two gets against the 31, something like that. I mean – I think it'd be fantastically popular to do something like that in the U.S., but it only works if there's the infrastructure in place to be able to do it. So, so I mean, okay, I there's a benefit of like rewarding the guys who have put in the work, like leading up to it. You know, and then show up, yeah. Like if you, it, it, yeah, for sure, well, of course. I mean, yeah, if, if if you're not if you're not playing events or you're not traveling, then of course you got to go. I mean, I, I don't. Even the World Championships have has qualifiers where you have monsters in there. Guys have gotten deep into in, into those world championships through qualifiers. You know, I think I, I don't I think it was the year Ronnie won it. Maybe he had to go through a qualifier. I'm not mistaken, but I mean, it's just it it, it it's crazy to me, man. And like, and there is there is some logic to the idea of it, but what Corey's saying is just it's. It's at a level. So, so okay. So this was a. There was a great comment about a uh, from wanting to start up. He said he started up uh, Mike Gaines. I started a small weekly big table nine ball open tournament. Never got more than nine people to show up. So here's a question for for y'all. Could we, if we suppose somebody tried to start a domestic U.S. tour? Nate, you talked about. I'll, I'll let you talk about what's going on, but. Could could you get enough participation to even do that? Because if if the answer is that none of the U.S. players will show up unless they're stealing, and I don't know, I mean, could you even have a tour that was a domestic tour? Well, I see Ed Ladawi out is out there, and I had this debate with him in the beginning, and he probably doesn't even remember it, but we've had a steak dinner that if uh, – so with the NBL event, basically you had two qualifiers for each location, 32 locations. You're going to get 64 amateur players which are then going to be paired with 64 pro players. And it would all be a massive uh, $200,000 prize purse national event that happens four times a year. And I have a stake dinner on it with him, basically saying that you cannot get 64 players from the U.S. to play in this, to post a $1,000 entry. No way. You can't do it. There's no way that there are 64 professional U.S. players that would post that kind of money even if there is $200,000 a line. I just don't see there being enough participation from cuz cuz to do that, right? Uh Demetrius, you're in the are you just up? No, you're in the top 100 of the US. Yeah, you're yeah, you're comfortably in the top um 100 US players, right? You're like uh maybe in the mid 80s something like that. Yeah, I maybe I bounced from I bounced from 40 to 80. Yeah, so I, I think a year ago I was like 30 and then I bounced, I don't know, 50, 60, 70. Okay, so tough, okay, so you're not Yeah. So now you got me the curious. idea is like to get 64 players in the top 80, one, you got to have, let's just assume that everybody has the weekend off. There's no weddings. There's no whatever. Let's just assume that everybody has the weekend available. Are you going to get 
Johnny Archer to show up for it? Are you okay. going to get Nate, Nate. Nick Garner? 40, 43. You have to go with Johnny? 40, 43, baby. Yeah, right. yeah, just for you. Easy. I Easy. I don't think Johnny's making that one. Yeah. But uh, how about we use yeah. – uh, <laughs> well, Nick Varner, something like that, Ernesto Dominguez, like players like this that are – you know, these players are in the top 100. They're, a lot of them are in the top 20, right? Nate, but are they going to show up for an event? Uh, I think if you get – if you, you've seen the post online and the pool is not dead where everybody posted like the top five of each state players in their state. I think it'd be no like if you did like let's say a seven hundred. Were you number two or number three in yours, Dom? What? Were you number two or number three in Florida? Mm -hmm. Uh, number no, I actually unfortunately I dropped off to number four. But what um four? I know I gotta practice. But uh, if you did like something fair to where you wean out the Dominic Duns from entering, right? You don't want Dominic Duns in there. You don't want people who can't make four balls in a row. So you make it like let's say a seven. You covered that with Dom's. Or a, like a seven hundred dollar entry, let's say, right? Do people in your state will will, uh, will support you if you're liked and you're not a you know douche or I don't know what word I'm allowed to say politely, but um, that's like, fine. We'd love to see Maglino in the state of Florida or Sherman or I mean, we might even you know see Donnie Mills actually enter a tournament that's not Vegas or the U.S. Open. So there's I think there's sixty four players out there for sure. Well, the trick is you have to be above seven twenty Fargo. That be, because I think seven hundred is the mark, but um, I think seven hundred opens it up for a bigger gap and money. That's their so, money's green, and they they're not slouches. But we Nate, I think the problem is we need somebody to actually do it. It's it's not that it won't be done if you give a if if you give a three month advance, a neutral location in the United States, where we negotiate a good hotel deal, flights right now are really cheap. It can be done. Nobody's doing it. I know. I know that I would play. I know that Josh would play. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Well, uh, Josh might not be able to. He's 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 right around that seven. He's a little north of seven twenty, right? Yeah, but it'll he'll be there soon enough. I mean, he'll. Yeah, I don't know today. Now you got me curious, but he's he'll be there soon enough. He's playing you know, well. Last time I saw him, he was right around like seven eighteen or seven twenty or something like Just do an invite only. You just eliminate. Just well, the thing is, you can't you. So the with with uh, the NBL's event is sixty four players are amateurs. Those are under seven twenty, and you have to qualify to get into this. And then seven twenty and over are the pros. So you have to get sixty four players for over seven twenty. That also has to live in the US. I think that's just complicating, making way more labor involved for the TD. I think as a, the tournament director, oh, as, 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 a a, as an A tournament director, I would just put one hundred twenty eight player field, or however you want it, invite only, eliminate the whole qualification because now you got to manage what 64 other tournaments or something just and just do invite only so you know you're you're weaning out the when dominic dunn emails you and says i want to play i have 700 dollars to burn because i hate benjamin uh franklin you just say no like we don't want your talent there we're going to go with people like Uh, oscar okay so now we're getting into an entirely different subject but i I think you're completely wrong on that because there's like let me let me finish because because players like me, let, let's say I'm a six. I'm I'm going up in Fargo again. I hate it. I just want to stay at six 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 forever. But I'm stuck at six sixty nine now. I'm going up, right? So I, I I at the beginning of the year I was right around a six sixty. I'm now a six seventy. The point is, is I have nothing to play for. What the hell am I playing for? I can't play in any tournaments in Wisconsin. Everything's a five forty five and under, or a four eighty and under, or it's a Scotch doubles eleven hundred and under, and I got to play with somebody with no arms and one leg to be able to play in that tournament. What do I have to play for? I have nothing to play for. 
this is actually something to play for a qualifier so that I can actually have something on the radar on the map for me where I can look at it four times a year or eight times a year potentially and say, that's a tournament that I can play in. That's a tournament that's going to keep me motivated to play. If I'm now losing that as an opportunity, we're back in the same spot we're at right now where players like me are not going through the process of continuing to get better so that, you know, I could be a 720 or I could be a 740 someday. You know, I'm old and I'm dying soon, so I'm not, I'm never going to get there anyways now, but you know, there's, there's no reason that at my age of 29, that if I try, if I trained like my butt off for the next year, there's no reason I couldn't be a 730 player. Yeah. I think where my uh, misunderstanding is, is that I don't have experience with, I, I don't have experience with seeing, we're not seeing open events. Florida has open events. So like, yeah, I don't, we don't, I don't know what it feels like to not have a tournament that you can play in. Yeah. We don't have any, so I didn't we have a lot spark, one every six weeks. I didn't mean to spark you and get you salty. Yeah. And Dominic, yeah, I'm triggered. I'm triggered. I, I just, as far as the complexity, I'll, I'll speak to the complexity because, you know, Ed's talking about nobody wants to sign up, you know, tell me, tell me your, your concern. You, you've run a lot of tournaments down in Florida. Tell me about your reaction to like the qualifier and the, and the, and you know, what you what you were hearing from Nate, you were at, you were saying that that's a little too complex. Right. Yeah, I just think you can fill it without that. So, so for me, I just I'll just tell you as a player, like I don't I don't follow it a lot. I just you know I, I'm training pool, and then I I'm looking at some tournaments I can go play, and the I, if there's a tournament where I can sign up, put up my entry fee, and go play, I'll do it. When it starts getting to be like this is a qualifier for that, and this is for that, like I know Josh, he's a seven eleven. I don't know if he's going to go play a qualifier to try to get in to play some other event. But if it's just something where we can just go sign up and play, I'm sure he and I would be down to sign up and play. Uh, that's the only thing. Now, where it'll, now, where it'll come and where, Ed, you know, you're talking about people aren't going to play, uh, pay $150 to enter a qualifier. If the, the tournament that you would have qualified for, if guys like me and Josh are sitting back playing our other tournaments, right? I'm like, now I'm going to be playing the Texas Open next year. I promise you that. Like, I've got my own lineup of tournaments I'm going to play. If I started seeing every three months or every six months, like, man, I'm missing out on these tournaments, all these great events. What do I got to do to get into that? I got to play these qualifiers or I got to sign up. Like, all right, we all look at Josh and we'll be like, why aren't we playing that thing? But that has to happen first. Like, we have to, we have to like want to play in that event before we're going to go play in that event. As it is, if it's just something I can sign up for, I'll sign up for it. But if it's like a qualifier or anything more complicated than that, I'm just telling you, that's. I think that's a deterrent. And so you can't say that that reflects U.S. players' lack of interest. Uh, I think it's more just, it, you know, it's it's you have to earn, you know, you have to earn that kind of following. I think. Yeah. Well, part of it's marketing, right? I will. I yep. will say the only the only uh, the only counter example I was able to come up with for you, Demetrius, was the tournament that uh, Josh snapped off, which was a qualifier. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that's but for that's the a US Open. Open. The US but that's Open. a U.S. Open qualifier where we're like, yeah. hey, man, we're gonna we're gonna play that thing. You know, we I'm went out there, down. Josh took it down, and now yeah. I'm rooming with him, so <laughs> I get half his action and uh, the free room. <laughs> yeah, speaking of which, uh, can I crash with you? Uh, I'll let you sleep on the floor if you want. I'm gonna be sorry, the internet's cutting out a little bit. Um, but yeah, you can uh, you can you can back me as well. Yep. <laughs> All right. Uh, so I, I guess uh, what what we're coming to a conclusion with this is the U.S. needs some infrastructure, right? Is that is that literally what we can all agree on? Yes. The Euro, the European tour, they come over here, they take all of our money, uh, they, 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 they take all of our dead weight money, and then they go back to Europe and spend all of it on Russian vodka. And uh, French wine. And, but I, I will uh, say to Fedor and to anybody that's listening, like, I'll tell you, 
the alternative would be that they don't come over and then we wouldn't have a chance to spar against the best players in the world. So I'm, I'm grateful that they're here for sure. Well, well, there's, we're kind of at a crossroads with the U.S. We can start kicking out. We become nationalistic and start kicking out everybody who wants to play pool. Or we can practice more. How about that? Wouldn't that be great? Isn't that a weird concept? What do we think about that? That's okay? Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's go do it. You got me. Let's go practice. <laughs> well, I guess uh, well, that, that kind Kim of – and Emily want, want to go and have want, want to have a tournament. I mean, they want to have a, a, a tour in place where these guys can go and earn their spot based on their own merit, where they'll still have wild cards for coaches or captains or whatever to go and pick to, but they're – that's what they want, you know, so that way all this talk of favoritism and all this other BS gets thrown out the window and players can just go and play and make and make a little bit of money, too. Yeah. In an ideal world, we'd all have it. But uh, a lot of that stuff takes a lot of hard work, and there's only a few people that are stepping up to do it. And, you know, we'll see. So I guess uh, – we were going to talk uh, a bunch about uh, the nine ball as well at the at the Texas Open. Let me just run down quick, uh, I guess, the places there. We don't have to talk too much unless there's anything that you guys want to talk about. Uh, Shane Van Boning snaps it off again, beats Dennis in the finals. It doesn't get doubled it by Dennis in the finals. That's always good to see. Uh, Roland Garcia gets third place. How is Roland playing these days? He's 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 crushing it, man. He's doing real well. I mean, he, need, he needs a shout-out. Roland Garcia is playing some awesome pool. Sky Woodward gets fourth. Tony Chohan, Jeffrey Ignacio, awesome for awesome for Tony. That's that is great to see a one pocket player out there grinding. Amazing to see. Uh, Jesus Intencio, Nayuki Oi get th- seventh, eighth, nine through twelfth goes to John Mora, Carlo Biado, uh, Edgy Geronimo, and Evan Lunda. That's a pretty great tournament for Evan Lunda too. Wow. Uh, Thirteen through sixty, Omar Al Shaheen, uh, Kun Lin Wu, Chris Reinhold, uh, Manny Chow. And then we'll do 17th through 24th, John Gabriel, uh, Scott Frost. We'll give the highlights. Uh, James Aranis, uh, Tyler Steyer, Blaine Barkas. And there's a, there's some there's some monster names that uh, we didn't even announce there. So uh, pretty good, pretty good tournament. So there's a lot of monsters in this. It was a fantastic event from what I heard. Ran smoothly, got done a little bit late on Sunday, but, you know, they finished it in time and, I guess uh, any any final words from anybody? Anything anybody wants to talk about before we wrap up? For me, it's just a matter of how good seeing some of these guys are playing right now. John Moore, Roland Garcia, the Filipinos are back in Chua and, and Ignacio, and they're playing stellar. Uh, it was just it, it was such a deep event, and the the um, the standard of play was just was just really fantastic and it wasn't it wasn't that goofy one on the spot nine ball with the template they were playing that nine on the spot and you had to have a three-point rule so it made for some randomness and and uh, um, some very exciting matchups Shane was just Shane worked his ass off before he was playing uh, the event he just gotten done a, a an Ironman match with Dennis and he worked his ass off there at the event too he was always practicing his break always there hitting balls his work ethic is something to be uh, inspired by. And, um, no, it was a fantastic week of pool, man, from start to finish. But then that rotation, it's great, man. It's wide open. It's wide open right now. So I guess uh, one thing, and I feel like Shane has earned this, um, 
I don't want to say I don't want to say that I've, I've been on Shane a little bit in the past, but I, I kind of have basically saying that he's not quite there anymore. He's not on that top tier. Is it unreasonable to say that Shane is actually the best player in the world right now? We'll find out soon. <laughs> I mean, he did lose to Dennis recently in that big table nine ball, but that's also Dennis not wanting any of that smoking 10 ball. You know, if they run it back, Shane loses by single digits in the nine ball. They run it in 10 ball. Shane's beating him by 50. No. Is it is it un, is it unreasonable? Relax. I don't think it's fifty, but it's it was thirty. It's, it's up there. I said he ain't beating him by. 50, oh, I, I guess I'm talking. Sure. I'm talking one. I'm to, well, I'm talking about the bar table ten ball. He won by uh, fifty-seven. Oh, then, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bar table, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. big table. Sorry, but I'm, I'm, well, even big table race to one fifty. What what does he win by? Forty? Thirty? Relax, buddy. Okay, because if it ever happens, you're gonna kill the action. All right, relax. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I, I mean, don't it, don't tap the glass. <laughs> Look, I mean, it's easy to go and say he's the best player, and and the quality of players that were there were fantastic. Don't get me wrong, but there's a whole bunch of guys who are coming over right now, and a bunch of guys who are still at home right now Alvin who could go Mayor, and give Shane. Josh, so yeah, I, I don't want to. Yeah, I mean, and how consistent is Alvin playing? Right in any event. In any event, how consistent is he playing? So uh, there's a number of guys who can go and and give Shane uh, um, hell in any game, but I guarantee, like, I don't think anybody has the effect. But maybe maybe Dennis. But besides Dennis, I don't think anybody has the intimidation factor right now like Shane does. Players well, go I, that are great go and play Shane, and they they're like, oh crap, it's Shane. Well, what what you said. What you said earlier about his one pocket, and Jim Telfer just said in the chat here is, you know, it's always it's about motivation, and that he has when he's motivated, nobody has to like it, and that's basically what you said about the one pocket too. Like I think that if Shane were to get in the box and play a race to a hundred, big table ten ball, um, you know, and he's and he's hungry to play that match, like. You know, there's guys that can play them. You know, it'd be very fun, of course, to see those matches we want to see, right, with Filler or with Fedor. But uh, but nobody has to, like, nobody or has change. to. Yeah, or Chang. Nobody has to think that they're stealing. But the thing about it is in a tournament where it's wake up, play a morning match, and then play an afternoon match, and you're playing all these races to nine where or races to 11 where he's considered this, you know, everybody expects him to win every match or he's supposed to be this heavy favorite and the best in the world, but he's playing this never-ending sea of, of you know, 793-year-old that are coming over here and just trying to, trying to earn their spot. And, and consistently, match after match, he's not delivering the same level of fight that, like, an Albin or a Clint Ikachi is. But – you want to pick one match and play for all the marbles and make it an extended cage fight. He's got to be there as a consideration with anybody. And that's kind of what I've seen is, is that his tournament game, I don't think he's going to dominate tournaments for that reason. I think it's hard for him to maintain his intensity round after round, match after match, weekend after weekend. But when you look at like the biggest tournaments in the world or the longest matches, I think that you're still going to see some representation. Yeah. I agree with Mike. I agree with Mike Pinoza there too. He, uh, I mean, Demetrius is right. It's whenever he wants it, you know. If you piss off Shane, and if Shane's got a chip on his shoulder, watch out because he's going to do everything he can to go and and get there, you know. And everyone's going to go and feel that heat. I mean, he's just he is. But I don't think anyone's playing as consistent as he is. Maybe Alvin right now, but just as consistent as Shane is, um, I don't think anybody is right now. Yeah. I agree with Mike Pinozo there too. I don't. I don't think that there's any Europeans really that come over and rob the place, right? 
Josh, Josh a little bit, Fedor a little bit, Jason a little bit. But it's mostly the it's it's mostly the Filipinos that are still taken from the U.S. pots, right? Well, they got to start playing each other. They got to start playing each other. I mean, Filler and Josh would, would sorry, Filler and uh and uh, Fader would be a great matchup. Kachi and Fader would be a great matchup. They're gonna have to start playing each other, you know, if they're gonna want to be. If not, they can just stay Moscone Cup teammates, and that's all fine and dandy and all. But I I I can't. After seeing all these guys go and get in the box the way that they do and grind out the way they do and getting bad games or whatever the way they do, like that has to be taken in, into consideration if you want to like not just snapping off, you know, a tournament, at least not for me anyway. You know, you were great for that weekend or for those three days or whatever, but I guarantee you like Alvin wouldn't want any part of Shane in the box, you know, maybe nine Alvin's ball. a world champion, maybe nine ball gambling. Show me someone who's gonna go put up that money. Maybe, you know, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I guess that uh, I guess that's all the topics I want to talk about. Um, anybody else have anything? Well, that sounds like a podcast. Then we did it. <laughs> at this time, uh, at this time next week, Mike, we're gonna be sitting uh, probably in person doing a podcast. Vegas. I got all my stuff. We're packing up tonight. We're leaving first thing in the morning. I'll see you in a few days, Nate. Thank God I don't got to see this ugly guy for a few days. Demetrius, hopefully uh, we we, we get to have you on while we're in Vegas too, buddy. Sounds good. Well, there you have it. All right, everybody. Thanks for uh, tuning in. And please, please share the show if you have not done so already. Uh, Help us grow. This is the best way that we can do it. We've been averaging right in between 50 and 60 viewers for this entire time between all of the forums, and we would like to grow that and help get the word out for all of Pool. So please, 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 uh, if you're enjoying this, watching, the the easiest thing that you can do to help us out is just share the stream. You never know who might be watching. You you never know who might be a new uh, follower or a viewer from there. So please do that. And uh, I guess until next week, we'll be live in person from Vegas. So see you guys all next week. All right. Next time, guys. See you, boys. All right. Take care, everyone. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you've liked what you've heard and you want to contribute to the future content that will be made, consider joining the podcast's Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash up. Becoming a Patreon of the podcast will help to create all of the future content that the podcast will have. Special shout out to Dave Peters, Aaron Taylor, Pete Silsby, Morgan Lupton, Ben Young, Robert Miller, Andy Morse, and Bill Pelham for your generous contributions to the podcast's Patreon. If you ever need any more information on what the Patreon system is or how you can contribute outside of the Patreon, please reach out to the podcast or Nate himself. If you would like to contribute to the podcast for free, consider sharing any podcasts or the podcast page on Facebook itself. Also, leaving a review and a rating if you listen through iTunes. It helps others find the podcast. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back soon with another episode of the Cue It Up podcast.